It's lovely and warm. Hope that you get a good day tomorrow wherever you're heading. Mark and two of the kids is heading back to the Philippines first thing in the morning, so say your goodbyes tonight because they're gone. Claire's still staying on for another month. She has some uh, bookings and meetings to take. So Luke chapter 21, and reading from verse 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned and with beautiful stones and donations, he said, this is Jesus, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? He said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost, and by your patience possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction is near. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For, there are, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart feeling them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they're ready budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. Amen. What in the world is going on 
in the world. What is happening to this place that we call earth that we live in? Environmentalists are screaming, screaming at us about the state of our planet. Those who study volcanoes and earthquakes and tsunamis tell us that there has been a rapid and tremendous increase in such events in very recent years. We've always had them. But even those who have studied them and look back over the records say for sure there's been a tremendous, earth, a tremendous increase in earthquakes. We even read there that Jesus said that there would be great earthquakes. Now, he lived in an era of earthquakes, but he said there would be great earthquakes. And we have seen in recent times, just in this past few years actually, Sometimes just a few months ago, we have seen great earthquakes where tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people has lost their lives. Astronomers are warning governments that at some point or other, not sure when, but at some point or other, we're very likely to be impacted by a near-Earth object like a, an asteroid or perhaps even a comet. Now, there's a whole organization set up specifically to look for these things. And we've had a few near shaves recently within recent years. In fact, one just a couple of years ago passed within uh, just a day because remember the earth is going through space at over a million miles every day. And it passed earth by about a million miles. It had been the day before it hit us, but one day later we've moved on. So I wonder what that, whenever you think of comets, because an asteroid hitting the earth is one thing, but a comet hitting the earth would be absolutely, totally catastrophic. It would be unbelievable if that was to happen. And you know, there's a. whenever we did the study in the book of Revelation, I'll just read this to you again. There's a, there's a particular verse which makes you wonder about these things. It's not definite, but it makes you wonder. Uh, it says in uh, Revelation chapter 8, uh, verse 7 and 8, Then the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, and mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of all living creatures in the sea died, and a third of all ships were destroyed. Looks very much like, to me, a burning mountain being hurled into the sea, it looks like a comet or a massive asteroid that would cause tsunamis where a third of the shipping would be destroyed. You know, no wonder Jesus said, we read it in that chapter, that people's hearts would literally fail them for fear of the things that were coming upon the earth and the awful sights that would be in the heavens, it says, whatever that may be. And so we're living in these days when we hear the rumblings of these things beginning to happen. Not to mention, of course, pestilences and famines and droughts, which are just day and daily all over the earth. What about society? In society, we have lost our spiritual moorings. We're adrift in a cesspool, literally, of perversion and wickedness and wrongdoing. Did you see in the news the other day where a couple in Korea I mean, you can hardly believe that people would be like this, but a couple in Korea, they were hooked on, on, on the internet, you know, with this virtual other life that you're supposed to have, and they were hooked in looking after a baby, uh, you know, and the internet, you know, it's only a made-up thing. It's only a figment of somebody's imagination. 
And they were hooked looking after this baby. The trouble was their own child was literally starving to death in their flat. They would spend 10 hours in an internet cafe at a time. Sometimes they spend all night in it. Uh, keeping this virtual so-called baby in the internet. And their own child literally died of starvation, died of malnutrition. They're getting jailed for it. That's the kind of wicked, crazy, mixed up world that we live in today. Abortion figures are absolutely sky high. Sexually transmitted diseases, sky high. Teenage pregnancies, sky high. Drunkenness, drug taking, sky high. Gone through the roof. Then we've got the rise and we've got the spread of militant Islam. You know, we live in a generation where, where Islam has come to the fore. I don't know if you noticed the big row going on in New York today where they're planning on building a mosque two blocks away from the place where 9-11 happened where the Twin Towers came down. And the council in that area voted 29 to 1 in favor of building a mosque there. I mean, it's cost such a furore in America. It's unbelievable. Can you imagine how the, how the victims must feel about that? Seeing these was Muslims and Islam that did this with their jihads and their all the rest of it. And then we see the rise and the spread of anti-Semitism. We get this periodically, but it's on the rise again, and it's particularly in Europe. Particularly in Europe. You live in, if you're a Jew and you live in anywhere in Europe today, you're, you're, you're almost certain at some point you're going to be persecuted. Uh, and it's on the rise again. The World Council of Churches, which is supposedly a body over supposedly 500, supposed 500 million Christians, uh, has brought out a thing uh, literally against Israel and pro-Palestine. And the Israelis are saying, in all the, the history of Israel, you know, modern-day history, since 1948, the World Council of Church never once, never one time sided with Israel. It's just so one-sided. And they're being bombarded every single day with bombs uh, from these places. But this is the world that we're living in. We're anti-Semitism on the rise. We're on the rise against Christianity and against Christians. Just last week or the week before, a preacher in England was arrested for preaching the gospel in the street. He was arrested. He was, he was actually taken into, into prison. He was taken into the jail cell in the, in the jail uh, or in the, in the police station. He was uh, fingerprinted. He was kept there all night. He was kept there all night. Of course, they had to release him because they couldn't actually pin the thing on him at the end of the day. Now he's actually going to take him to court. He's going to sue the metropolitan police of that area because he said Christians have got to stand up for themselves. Once in a while, they've got to do something. And uh, so that's the world we're living in. Where you, You've noticed that Christianity is being marginalized. You've noticed that. Every day on TV, you lift your newspapers, somebody's having to go at Christians. Why? Because we don't say anything. We're not having to go at the Muslims because they're scared to. I mean, the comedians is on making all kinds of blasphemous jokes about Jesus and about Christians. Well, dare them say anything about Allah. Their heart's scared to do it because they know they're going to be in big trouble. The world has become a very dangerous, very volatile place. How long is this madness going to continue? In Iran right now, the president of Iran, nobody believes him, but he says that his nuclear capability is only for peaceful means. It's only to give them electricity and power. Nobody in the world believes that. Israel doesn't believe it for sure. Because he's already said he wants to nuke Israel. He wants to blow them of the face of the map. He's already stated that publicly. Now, can you imagine if that man, when they're fully equipped, 
I don't think he would even blink about doing that. And in North Korea, even as we speak tonight in North Korea and South Korea, Korea, they are a standoff at the moment. Just a few weeks ago, a South Korean warship was torpedoed. It was actually cut in half. 46 sailors lost their lives. And North Korea, whom they suspected did this, they denied it from the president down. But now they've found out actually it was a North Korean torpedo. It was a submarine who did this. And so there's this standoff. And Kim Jong-il, who's the president of North Korea, he wears six-inch heels. He's a wee man. He wears six-inch heels. He's an absolute, well, can I use the term nutter? I mean, a despot nutter. You know, but here's the trouble with this wee man. He's got the fourth biggest army in the world. He's got 1.2 million armed soldiers. 100,000 are women, by the way. His people are starving out in the country. They're eating the bark of the trees, literally. They're boiling grass to eat. They're starving. In the 1990s, 2 million of his people starved, and he's got 17 palaces. Last year, he spent 350,000 pounds on Hennessy whiskey. He's got 20,000 bottles of the finest wine of the world. His art collects 17 palaces. His people are starving to death. He's got this massive army. And worst of all, he's got nuclear power. He's got his finger on the button. And not only that, he's terminally ill. And there's a great danger. Before he goes, he could press the button. So you can understand why China and Japan and North Korea and all of his neighbors are very, very worried about this man because he's a dangerous, dangerous man. They call him the dear leader. And dear help you if you don't call him the dear leader because you're in big trouble because he's an absolute madman. So this is the world that we are living in right now. Will we be destroyed by nuclear arsenals and bombs? Will a giant comet or asteroid slam into the earth and send us back to another ice age? Will God intervene? Will God have the final say? Well, the truth is that God can and God will. God will have the final say. In fact, God has already promised that he's going to have the final say. God has already promised. Do you know that the most recurring theme in the whole of the New Testament is the imminent soon return of Jesus Christ. It's the most talked about thing in the whole of the New Testament. One in every 25 verses speaks about Christ's second coming. It is mentioned some 300 times in Paul's epistles alone, there are 50 references to the second coming of Christ. It's been said that there are eight times more references to Christ's second coming than there was about his first coming. Jesus often spoke about his second coming. In fact, about 50 times in the New Testament, the Bible warns us how to live in the light of his second coming. And not only that, the Bible says more about Christ's second coming than it does about creation and about Christ's first coming and about his death and his resurrection all put together. So the second coming of Christ is a major, major theme in the New Testament. Why do you think that is? 
because the Holy Spirit who wrote the New Testament, who wrote the whole Bible for us, who inspired the whole Bible, should I say, he wants us to be absolutely sure that Christ, the Son of God, is returning to this earth, and he wants us to be ready for that return. And here's the thing about it is, none of us know when, even the very Son of God who's coming doesn't know when. Only the Father knows. But we do know that it's sin, because he gave us signs. And we just read in Luke 21 some of the signs. And if you read Matthew 24, you'll see some more signs. All of these things is pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few reasons why I believe that Christ is coming soon. Well, he already himself has said so, hasn't he? In John 14, he tells us that he's coming back again soon. He tells us that he's gone to prepare. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again. Has he gone back? Pardon? Well, you kind of sound half-hearted. Has he gone back? Is he going to return? Absolutely. He promised. He said so. And you can take his word. The Apostle Paul said so. Over in First Thessalonians. That wonderful little book speaks much of his coming. Paul writing to these, the church at Thessalonica because they were very concerned about He was talking about Christ going to be coming back again. They were very concerned about those who were in Christ but who had died. What's going to happen to them? So he writes to them, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, that is, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then... We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Paul was very sure and very adamant that Christ would return. And then Peter also said, 1 Peter 1 and 7, you don't need to turn to this, let me read it to you. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Then James, he also says so. James 5 and 8. The coming of the Lord draws near. And then the very angel said so. Remember when Jesus ascended up that day from the Mount of Olives in Acts 1 11. And they stood there and they looked up to see him go. And the angels appeared and said, You men of Galilee, why stand you there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. <laughs> Do you know that the last recorded words in Scripture is of Jesus? Because the last words of anybody is very, very important. Here's his last words. Listen to it. Surely I come quickly. The very last thing Jesus said 
record it in scripture surely I come quickly Jesus said it Paul said it James said it Peter said it the angel said it and Jesus reiterated it again right at the end to make absolutely sure that we believe and that we know is coming so that's the first reason second reason is because I don't think anybody believes that the earth can continue as it is much longer how many more volcanoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and typhoons and hurricanes and droughts and pestilences and diseases is going to take how much more can this earth absolutely stand our seas are polluted. The biggest ecological disaster America has ever had in its history is happening right now as I speak. 40 million gallons of raw oil is pouring out from the bottom of the seabed in the Gulf of Mexico and they haven't got it stopped. And it may take days, it may take weeks, it may even take months. And President Obama is absolutely livid. He is enraged, he said, because this has threatened the livelihood of hundreds of thousands of fishermen and people who are depending on the sea all the way around the Gulf of Mexico. It's cost already BP oil. It's cost them $1 billion already. $1 billion already. And President Obama says he's, they're going to have to compensate every single person even if it's affected their health, they're going to have to compensate. This could be serious trouble for BP. Our seas are polluted. Our land is polluted with radiation, with acid rain. Our air is polluted. <laughs> you know, I used to jog, believe it or not. I was talking about Brian this earlier. I used to jog. I jogged up that road. And you're jogging up there to get healthy. And these cars and lorries are coming up and they're belching out all that lead fumes. And you're breathing all that in. You're trying to get healthy and you're breathing all that lead poison in as you're running, eh? <laughs> now, you may wonder how, why I've got this globe of the earth sitting on top of this table in front of me. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now. Is that all right? I don't very often use props, but this is a good prop. It's a very, very nice prop, isn't it? You like that? We'll have that on our missions table down there, but use it tonight. Our atmosphere. Our atmosphere is very, very precious and it's very very important to us our atmosphere around the earth it goes up almost 200 kilometers but 190 or so kilometers now you may think that's a lot but actually if you shrunk the whole earth down to the earth the size of this globe do you know how thick that atmosphere would be around it? As thick as that sheet of paper I'm holding. That's how thick it would be. So actually it's not very much, is it? Really. And the atmosphere, that 190 kilometers of atmosphere around the earth is divided into four sections. Now they're not equal in height or length, but it's four sections. The troposphere, that's the part we live in and breathe in then the stratosphere, and then, then the meosphere, and then the ionosphere. Now, if you use at school, you probably learned all of this. 
But the part that we live in, the troposphere, is very, very important for us because just about all of our water and all of our weather is contained within that bit that we live in. And it's not very high. In fact, most of us, where most of us live, uh, most of the population, it's only about 10 or 11 kilometers high. Around the equator, it's a bit more, it's maybe about 18, but that's very, very tiny, isn't it? But it's very important to us because it shields us and guards us from a whole lot of stuff from outer space. And also we can live in it or oxygen it, we can breathe in it, so it's vitally important for us. But it's getting polluted, continually getting polluted. But you go above our troposphere into the stratosphere, then there's something else that's very, very important. By the way, here's how you'll know the difference between the two. Have you ever seen, Sally and I was driving along the road the other day, and there was a great big massive thunder cloud. Did you ever see one of those great big black angry big thunder clouds? You just know there's going to be thunder and lightning. Well, whenever it goes up a certain height, it flattens out like an anvil shape. That's why they call them anvil clouds. Well, where that flattens out, that's the difference between our troposphere and the stratosphere, the next big layer. But in that next layer, there's something that's very, very important to us. It's called ozone. You've heard much talk about the ozone layer and the hole in the ozone layer. Well, the ozone, ozone is, is a form of, of oxygen and it's, it's a strange chemical because most molecules, oxygen molecules, is two atoms of oxygen. But ozone has got three atoms of oxygen. So, so it's, it, it's different. And if it was on Earth, it, it would pollute Earth if it was on Earth. But because it's way up there in the stratosphere, it's very, very, very beneficial to us on Earth. Because it shields us again from high radiation and X-ray, cosmic rays and all kinds of stuff. So it's very, 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 very important. But here's the trouble. There's not very much of it. In fact, if you were to even out all of the ozone in the stratosphere, do you know how thick it would be? It'd be as thick as a DVD disc. The edge of it I'm talking about. Two millimeters thick, that's all it would be. So now you're wondering... They're so worried about the holes in the ozone layer because once it gets hold, then all those dangerous rays get through and they can damage us. And then you're more prone to skin cancers and all kinds of stuff that's going to happen. So it's very, very dangerous. Now, the things that's damaging it is CFCs, isn't it? It's these other chemicals, chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs. And the trouble with CFC is we, we're producing them because our hairsprays and our air conditioning and our deodorants and everything with sprays, all of that for a very, very, very long time, well, since the 1930s, has been producing all these CFCs. The trouble with CFCs is they're highly, highly destructive. There's only one part per billion in the atmosphere, but that one part is very, very dangerous to ozone. In fact, one kilogram of CFC can destroy 70,000 kilograms of ozone. So you can see why the scientists and the meteorologists and all these people are very, very worried. Because the problem is CFCs last for at least 100 years once it's up there. They're not thinking you can do about it. So we're living in a very, very volatile, very dangerous situation, very precarious world we're living in, where we're polluting everything and everything's being destroyed all around us. We're in threats by nuclear bombs, by pollution, by asteroids, you name it. Everything's happening to this little ball we call Earth that we live on. And it's the only place we're ever going to live on. 
as much as they try to tell you they're going to go to new worlds, it's not going to happen, folks. Can't live out there. This is the only place we can live. This is the only atmosphere that we can breathe. So, this is what's happening right now. The earth is reeling under the curse of Genesis 3.17. When sin entered into the world, this world became cursed. And Adam, from that point on, had a battle with the environment. Environment issues are not new, by the way. They're as old as the Garden of Eden. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you'll produce thorns and briars and weeds will come up. Never had been before. And sin cursed this world. And it's cursed even more today. So we're living in a very, very dangerous situation. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this world. He says, the whole world is groaning and it's creaking. That was a very apt description. He didn't know anything about Teutonic plates and all that stuff we know about today. He didn't know anything about that. But he says the whole world is groaning and it's creaking and it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting for God to redeem this earth. That's why it's groaning and creaking. And it's going to do that till the Lord comes. Till there's a new heavens and a new earth, the Bible says. And so because the earth cannot continue as it is, for very much longer. And then thirdly and lastly, because Satan has set this world on a course of self-destruction. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Satan is pushing society to the very brink. Wants to push it into the very abyss. Biblical morality is totally scorned. Morality is a joke today. Is there any morality left in the whole of Britain? Is there? I don't see much of it, do you? It's just a joke, isn't it? But this is the age we live in. The world is man-centered, self-centered, certainly not God-centered. Now, a world like that cannot go on Something's got to give. Something's got to happen. Any nation that forsakes God, any nation that forsakes even basic morality, any nation that forsakes integrity and honesty, they are doomed, absolutely, completely and utterly doomed. The Roman Empire at one time was the greatest nation on earth. It ruled most of the then-known world as far east as the Euphrates River, as far west as the Atlantic Ocean. All over Egypt, Middle East, large tracts of Africa, Spain, even into Britain. Massive, the richest nation on earth, the most, how can I put it, the, the most armaments on earth, the biggest army on earth, the most powerful nation in the world, took over large chunks of nations, made them subject to them. And it seemed, I mean, this well, for hundreds of years, and it, it seemed impregnable. How could this nation ever fall? But it did. Edward Gibbon, who wrote a historian, who wrote a book about it, The Climb and Fall of the Roman Empire, he said several things that caused Rome to fall. You know, every time I read these, <laughs> it's, it's almost as if you're reading today's paper. He wrote this in 1788. But this is like reading today. Listen to what he said. Here, here's some of the things he said that caused the mighty Roman Empire to fall. See if this is not happening right now. First of all, an undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home 
which is the basis of human society. An undermining of the sanctity and the dignity of the home. There's more home breakups. There's more household disasters than there's ever been. Because the family unit is just being destroyed continually. Secondly, he says, see this doesn't ring a bell. Higher and higher taxes. Huh? <laughs> Thought the Labour government was bad? You think this new coalition is going to be bad? Well, the Romans knew how to tax too. They just taxed everything. But moved, they taxed it. You know, that's why the Jews hated them. Because the Jews really had to pay a tithe. Really had to pay a temple tax. In their religious duties, they had to, I mean, they had to tithe the temple tax. Then the Romans come along and they stick them for more taxes. No wonder they hated them. Higher and higher taxes and spending public money. Governments are good at that, aren't they? Spending our taxes and spending public money on free bread and circuses for the populace. What does that mean? Well, again, Sally and I was in Rome there just last year and we walked around the Colosseum. You know, one of the reasons why that was built was to, to calm the people because they were getting so highly, highly taxed. People was beginning to rise up. And so they thought, well, we'll entertain them. And so they built these places to have gladiator fights. And, you know, and then there was, the, of course, the big amphitheaters. And then there was a place where the chariots would go. And it just allowed the people to come. They came every day. Thousands and th I mean, the Colosseum held 50,000 people. And when it opened, it opened, I think the first, was it the first two or three weeks, there was, I don't know, many thousands of people were slain in it. It was, it was just awful. And the people went gladly. And it was entertainment for them. It was leisure for them. That kept them happy. Well, we see governments just handing money hand over fist out to all kinds of strange and weird places and ideas just to keep people happy. We're taking it off you, but look, we're giving you something. And then the third thing, he said, was a mad craze for pleasure with pastimes becoming every year more exciting, more brutal, and more immoral. Does that strike a chord? Is that the world we live in today? I think it is. Then fourthly, building great armaments. Although the real enemy was within the decay of human responsibility. What are the superpowers today? China, America, India has become a superpower. Great Britain, France, usually those who have nuclear weapons and got a big population. But in every one of those nations, even though they're defending themselves from the outside, but the trouble's on the inside, isn't it? The lack of morality, the lack of basic decency sometimes. It's just going down a slippery slope. And then finally, the decay of religion, faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and losing power to guide the people. Well, think of this at the moment. In Great Britain today, the head of BBC religious broadcasting is a Muslim. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? Can you imagine any Muslim country putting the head of their religious broadcasting in the hands of a Christian? Can you imagine that? Or a Jew? It would just it would never ever happen in a million years. But here we are in Britain. Well, we just love we love everybody, and we just don't really care because religion is just a nonsense anyway. So it doesn't matter who's in charge. Put a Muslim in. That'll keep the Muslims happy. The Christian can shout all they like. The church doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Church of England is a joke anyway. That's that's the attitude. 
even some of the, the executives are saying now, it's a real pain. We're not really interested in religion at all. We just have to put it on there to satisfy a few folk, but we really can't be doing with it. That's the attitude in Britain today. And that's what happened to the Roman Empire. And the greatest, mightiest nation on earth crumbled and fell. And it's only a shadow of what it used to be. You go to Rome and you see all the ruins, and they're just ruins. There used to be 120 million people in Rome, not in Rome, in the Roman Empire. A million people in Rome, just a shadow of what it used to be. However, in spite of all of that, I've said tonight, and you wait a long time to hear this, in spite of all of that, I've said tonight, here's the good news the church of Jesus Christ will shine brighter and brighter and brighter until the coming of the Lord. Now let me say that again, only let me add a word to that. The true church of Jesus Christ will shine brighter and brighter and brighter until the coming of the Lord. The reason why I say the true church, because the Bible says that in the last days the love of many will wax cold. So there's going to be a sifting of the true church because persecutions come to the church now it's not news you want to hear tonight but I've got to say it and it's coming and we're seeing signs of it already we're being denied so many basic things as Christians even in our country and it's coming already our, our government our government has made a law that any more than 50 people who are meeting in the open has got a lodge a request to do that legally. If you any more than 50, we could be in trouble for a fun day. We literally could be in trouble having the fun day. If we have more than 50 people, and there is more, there's hundreds come, then all you need is one person to say, I don't like that, that offends me. And then you'd have to repeat it. And by that time, the summer's over. You think they wouldn't do it? Just you wait to see. That's our own government did this. That's our own government's done this. But in spite of all of that, the true church, those who are truly going to live for Christ, will grow brighter and brighter and brighter. God's plan for this world will not fail. And it will not change. And everything is promised in the book is going to happen. Every prophecy, every word, every promise, it all will happen. So, Jesus said, do not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. These things is going to happen. These things must take place. The end is not yet. It's going to happen. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. It's happening all around us. But the end is not yet. Now, just as we finish, before we do anything about his second coming, we've got to do something about his first coming. It came for a reason. The angel said to Joseph about Mary, that the one who would be born of her, you shall call his name Jesus. The name in the Hebrew is Savior. It's the same as Joshua. Savior. 
because he shall save his people from their sins. And that was his mission. That's why he came the first time. In John chapter 3, he made it absolutely abundantly clear, did he not? Let me just read it for you. John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So Jesus Christ came, and he came to give us life. He came to give us a new life. He came to give us an abundant life. The Apostle Paul whenever he was in prison, Paul and Silas. Remember how they prayed at midnight and sang praises to God and earthquake came and how all the prison gates were flung open and whenever the keeper of the prison saw it, he was frightened because if he lost a prisoner, he would lose his life. That was what it was like in those days. And of course, he ran in, the Bible says here. Keeper of the prison, prison awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Boy, that's a great question, isn't it? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Not just that Jesus existed, not just he was a figure in history, but believe the reason why he came. Truly believe in him and you will be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. He explained what that means. And he took the same took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and his family were baptized. And when they had brought them into his house he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. You see before we do anything about the second coming we've got to do something about his first coming. If you don't do anything about his first coming you will never be ready for his second coming. But when you do something about his first coming, then you prepare yourself for his second coming. Because then you begin to realize how much the New Testament speaks of that very thing. And you get your heart ready. And you get your soul ready. Because the fact is, he could come tonight. There's nothing preventing him coming as far as the rapture is concerned. Paul says, in a moment in an instant, in an atom of time, in a nanosecond of time. He says, we'll be changed. 
and we'll be caught up, he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, caught up together with him there. And the word caught up means snatched away. Caught up, snatched away. In an instant, in a moment, it'll happen. We could be in church when it happens. You could be in your bed when it happens. You could be in work when it happens. And we have no idea exactly when. So we got to be ready. Got to be ready. Got to be ready. We're going to pray. And while we bow our heads, let me ask you the question. Are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? You don't have to know every detail. We don't know the day or the hour. But all we've got to do is be ready. Believe that he's coming. Trust in him. Give your life to him. Make him your Lord and your Savior. And then you'll be ready. You'll be ready. So just as we're bowed in prayer, let me give you the opportunity. Because I don't know every one of you. I don't know where every one of you stand before God tonight. Perhaps all of you are saved and born again. Thank God for that. Because then you're ready. But maybe you're not saved or born again. Maybe you've never ever done anything about his first coming. Because he came to save us. He came to forgive us our sins. To make us clean. Make us ready for heaven. So if you have never done anything about that, and just in the quietness of these moments, in your heart of hearts, you're saying, David, I need to do something. I need to get myself ready. I need to be right before God. I, I just would not want Christ to come right now because I'm not ready. If that's you I'm speaking to tonight, just why we're sitting if you would indicate to me just simply by putting up your hand, then I would know. Thank you. Anybody else wants to join this person? We can pray. And you can ask the Lord into your heart just where you sit. I'm not going to bring you out to the front. Just where you sit in that seat tonight. You can make a connection with God and you can know absolutely for sure 100% that you're going to be ready when Christ comes I'm going to pray in a moment if you want to join me and indicate by raising your hand then we'll pray simple as that I couldn't save you I'd love to but I couldn't because I didn't die for you only Jesus can save you but if we reach out to him tonight in simple faith, believing, pray a simple prayer, and Christ will come into the heart, and he'll save us. What a fantastic change can happen to your life tonight. So are you ready to pray? Why don't we just all pray this prayer? I'm sure... The vast majority of you are saved and know the Lord, but 
just for the one who needs to pray this prayer, why don't we all just pray this prayer out loud together? And as we pray it, and as he prays it, we're just going to believe and trust God that the work of Christ will have taken place in his heart. Do you remember the night you prayed or the day you prayed? Some of you, perhaps you were very, very young, maybe some of you later on in life, but you just prayed a prayer, a simple prayer. And we're going to do that tonight, right now. So will you join me in this prayer, just out loud. Say these words. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. And I've heard your word tonight. And your promise is that you're returning soon. And I would not want to meet you in my present state. Because I am a sinner. And I need your salvation. I need your grace tonight. So Lord Jesus, will you save my soul tonight? Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you write my name in the Lamb's book of life? Will you give me the strength and grace to live for you from this moment forward and to be a real Christian one who trusts Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my prayer and answering my prayer tonight. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name.